With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, and welcome to Saturday morning's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. As is customary on these weekend podcasts, we talk about things that we have been enjoying during the lockdown. This can be music, video games, movies, whatever, and conversely, things that we haven't enjoyed. And of course, we'll finish up this show with a review of our classic or not-so-classic movie. My name is Craig Telfer, and today I am joined by three people. The first is Craig Fowler. Hello. He's hungover as fuck, and he was late getting this podcast started. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Only had five pints, five, six, six pints. Oh, wow. To be fair, he, he, he arrived earlier than you did. <laughs> right, well, he, st- he was still late. He was, that's the point, is, is that he was still late. That, that you, were just, you were just later. No, I was late by about four minutes. Right, that person you can hear chipping in is Duncan Mackay. Hello. How you uh, doing? That was uh, irrelevant. And last but not least, it is a man who was absolutely eviscerated on Twitter.com last night when somebody called him T-Watt. Of course, it is Tom Watt. Yeah, I'm Tom Watt, T-Watt, and I was called a wanker about four or five times as well. Just uh, refreshing, bracing. Hello. A good week for, for online, Tom. I thought that was one of the funniest tweets that I've seen. Of course, making fun of Hibernian, who are spending uh, a quarter of a million pounds to sign a player from Dunfermline Athletic, while also mothballing, mothballing their academy and their youth team coaches. Yeah, um, I don't know. All, all, all I need for this kind of content is about a bottle of wine. So, uh, you know, 
load me up and let me go. And then football, you regret football it. Football fans that get offended by that kind of stuff really just fuck me off. Because it was just it was just a funny, it was a really funny meme. And I was literally drinking with like five Hibs fans and showed them it all and they all laughed at it and thought it was funny. And yet they get these arseholes online and just like they see stuff like that and they just have to be so defensive. And it's like, fucking grow up. It's all. It's not. It's not like applicable to a particular support. It's always guys yeah. who have a photo of their newborn babies as avatars, like their <laughs> newborn babies in a in a baby kit, like looking intently. And it's always them. It's not a particular fan base. It's just the bio angry dads. Either bio be like uh, the missus, the kids, and the football team, although yes. not necessarily in that order. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I saw someone saying that you can make a a large correlation now on Twitter between those with flags in their uh, username uh, display and their divorce rates. And I thought, yeah, that's probably true. (laughs) Yeah. Before before we get started, I'd like to express our condolences to the family of Jack Charlton. Jack Charlton, of course, was the Republic of Ireland manager at the 1994 and 1990 World Cup. He was also a big hero at uh, Leeds United. So before we start, we're going to have a five-minute silence in his memory. Five minutes is probably a bit long for a podcast, anyway, so we'll just crack on. Uh, we'll start by looking at things that we've enjoyed over the last uh, wee while. And uh, Duncan, since you've got a plenty to say for yourself, we'll start with you. What have you been enjoying over the, since we last saw you? So, uh, this will not come as a surprise to, to many of you. Uh, it's a book. Um, so, each year, a guy called uh, Glenn Stout releases, uh, publishes what he calls the best American sports writing. So, just yesterday, I finished the 2018 edition, which I'm holding up, which is really useful in a podcast form. And I just thought, uh, in a week where we've seen more uh, threats or redundancies at uh, newspapers and you know, just generally a bad week for journalism... Uh, this was kind of a good reminder that um, that good sports writing exists, and I, and I say this that I think good sports writing is as far is a far more respected uh, discipline in America than it is in the UK, and you can see that just by the the breadth of the articles that that exists in this book, that's this collection, um, and I'll I'll probably tweet out a few of them after the the show goes live. Uh, but yeah, it just kind of restores your faith in, in good journalism. And some of these pieces are just absolutely amazing. Like some of them genuinely made me cry, uh, and some of them are just superb. There's uh, a, a journalist that has access to uh, Ali's funeral from the from from being in the hospital all the way to uh, you know the, him being um, the the public service and then the the cremation and uh, not the cremation the burial and stuff like that um, unsurprisingly with uh, how it is in, in America at the moment um, CTE and, and concussions features a lot and it's it, it's genuinely heartbreaking when you read the, some of these stories uh, and then the what the one that moved me most was the NBA coach uh, Monty Williams uh, whose wife died a couple of years ago, and yeah, it was just how he was trying to, how uh, a guy who was completely dedicated to basketball, but also to his to his wife, how he has to rebuild himself after uh, she dies uh, in a, a tragic car accident. And yeah, it was, it's just superb. So yeah, again, Glenn Stout uh, publishes these each year. Um, they're really worth checking out, uh, and that he has like sort of a guest editor who then picks the the final fifteen or twenty stories out of the the thousands that get submitted. Um, but I would highly recommend it. Why do you think that journalism in the United... Sorry, why do you think sports journalism in the United States is more venerated than it is here? Uh, I think that's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I think there's more 
narrative. I think there's there's more space for narratives. I think to ex- to exist. I think uh, maybe you have I don't know. Week, you had weekly papers in America more so, and also remember a lot of the newspapers in America are uh, just just for local areas. So once you get to national area, uh, national coverage, that you're meant to. I don't know, see things in the much bigger picture as opposed to kind of doing scoreboard journalism, which I think a lot of what is uh, passes for sports journalism in uh, in the UK is. I think it's a different culture as well, seeing in how kind of reporters are perceived by athletes themselves, because and I think that stems from the fact that you can have a much more kind of intimate relationship with players, just on, on a kind of nat- natural kind of everyday basis as well, because in American sports, like they pretty much open up, open up the locker rooms after games, and, and reporters go and stand mm-hmm. beside the lockers and talk to players. Yeah, it's, man, that, it's mandated. That, yeah, and that kind of access just does not exist anymore in the UK. And I mean, there are stories to tell. I mean, I've been reading uh, Athletic this week because uh, I discovered that I'd paid sixty pound for it and hadn't uh, hadn't quite realised. So I thought I'd better make ah, use of it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been quite enjoying what we've been reading so far. I read uh, the Michael Johnson piece. I thought that was excellent. Oh yeah, that looked quite. That looked quite good. See, see, the thing is, athletic. There looks like there's always one or two stories that you're like, ah, quite fancy that. But I'm, but that seems to then you get like this weird looking fellow with ginger hair talking about like statistics. I think you have to get the sieve out, but it's good for me as well because I like NFL and NBA as well. And if you're paying for, even if you sign up for to pay for Premier League content, you still get everything else as well. So I, I it's more useful for me. And I was always thinking about paying the sixty quid. I just never got around to. Uh, with the part that I actually did get around to it and forgot. Um, but yeah, that, so there is pieces like that where somebody manages to get Michael Johnson and can talk to him and it's an excellent piece. But generally, there's just, I think, that distance between like the, the writers and what they want to write about in the UK that kind of maybe makes it harder to write these type of pieces. And also as well, I mean, America is such a, a massive country with a much bigger population and also kind of more sports that are kind of beloved and easier and kind of accessible to write about. So I think that maybe hinders us as well is that there's a kind of smaller pool uh, from the UK perspective in which to to get as many kind of naturally talented people as some of the kind of American guys. We certainly have of course. Know, at the top end people who are maybe comparative, but there's just maybe not as many at the top end in the UK. I think as well, of course, Fowler, people like yourself, anything that uh, deviates even slightly from football, you would describe these people as a Tory. <laughs> yes, yes, I would. Cricket, rugby, badminton, judo, Tory. I wouldn't say, I'd say darts is not Tory. <laughs> Although many of them have probably voted, many of the supporters have probably voted Tory because... I would say it's more Brexit. Yeah, more Brexit. I was going to say they've probably voted Tory because they want to get Brexit done. <laughs> I think as well with, with one of the things with the States is there's a long-standing culture like over, over here. It's like sports writers are kind of ingrained and you were a sports writer, whether you were covering football or cricket or whatever in the States, it was like Rolling Stone would send someone to cover the Super Bowl. Like Hunter Thompson started off as a sports writer um, or was sent to cover the Super Bowl, you know, um, Kentucky Derby, uh, baseball games, things like that. Uh, so it was like yeah, Norm, Norman Mailer too. Like, yeah. 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 So you'd have amazing writers sent to cover sports, which kind of raises the bar for everybody rather than having really good sports journalists who have great contacts and know everything which you, you have over here and you kind of work your area and you, you get your contacts. <laughs> if you've got that plus people who are writing these like epic, you know, epic pieces and, and some, of the, some of the Hunter Thompson stuff on sports is the best stuff he ever wrote, even though like he 
doesn't necessarily remember going to the Super Bowl, but the stuff around the sports is really, really good. Uh, so I think th- there's a different attitude where the like, sports part of culture and you would send a good culture writer to cover baseball the way that like, we would, you know, the Sunday Times or something would send someone to cover the theatre here. So are you, Tom, suggesting that we send Giles Corrin to cover the Scottish Cup final? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. Giles Corrin. Not, not just the Scottish Let's Cup final. Let's a pitch invasion and maybe uh, back in VIP areas. <laughs> so I was kidding on, I think Giles Corrin's an absolute piece of shit and I hope he stays <laughs> as far away from Scottish football as, as possible. Remember when he talked about his kid being sexy? Oh, aye. I was hoping nobody would bring that up, but... Right. Lowering the bar as usual, Duncan. Yeah, possibly <laughs> one of the most like upsetting pieces of writing that. Yeah, it was, it was like the way it was written. It was like you know, it was written so straight that there was absolutely no chance it could have been played like with a wonky bat, or, or it was sort of like a, a sideways glance at, at your daughter's sexual. No, yeah, seeing going on the holiday with your daughter was one of the most erotic experiences of your life. Can't be interpreted to anything other than. Uh, <laughs> Weird. <laughs> I've not read this. Nobody wrote that piece about his son being fat. Yeah, he he's like, a, he's a, he, like I said, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. I, I've gathered that without having read a huge amount. Um, so, Body you know, shaming his son while having a boner for his daughter. I'm not a big fan of this man. Yeah. No. But he was also as well. You ever see the the, the the email that got leaked that he wrote to his uh, editors because they took away? I think it was the word the or a. Uh, from one of his uh, articles and he wrote this big thing full of expletives swearing at them. Yeah, real nice guy, real nice guy. Yeah. Tom, what, what have you been enjoying? I have been, I mean, I've been enjoying this for a while, but particularly because there is a new single by Guided by Voices, which is pretty much every second week, really, because if you know anything about Guided by Voices, they are incredibly prolific. Um, but they've got a new single out called To Keep an Area and um, it's, it's lovely. It's one of the best things they've done. And that's some high praise for a guy, Bob Pollard, who's kind of the the, uh, the genius behind it all, has, I think, 100 albums or close to 100 albums to his name over the last 40 years. Um, it's really like a big, lovely, summery, sort of teenage fan club, big star tune uh, from another album, their second of the year. I think they might have another one coming out this year as well, uh, called Mirrored Aztec. Um, they've released one earlier in the year called Surrender Your Poppy Field, which was really good as well. Um, yeah, so they've released 16 albums in seven. So they between 80, the middle of the 80s and when they originally broke up in 2004, they released 16 albums in 17 years. They came back in 2012 and they've released 15 albums in eight years. And they've kind of perfected the, not like the two-minute pop song, but like the 90-second pop song. And um, have released a bunch of albums. They've, they've released three in a year, a couple of, what was it last year or the year before? And it's like 24 unfiltered songs in 40 minutes. Um, it's not the argument, that, that like, somebody gets this, that their songwriters to get and say, listen guys, why don't we just take the best 10 and let's work on them and make them really, really good? There is that argument, but there's something really lovely about a guy who, who I mean, he's 60-odd he's now. He's been writing for you know, 40 years. There's something really charming about it being unfiltered. And, I mean, they were always kind of scratchy. They were always lo-fi recordings. There was a lot of home record. Most of it was home recordings um, on, like, four-track tape. So there's something quite nice about as the record, the quality of the recordings have got better to, to keep some lack of filter, if that makes sense, or to keep, mm. to, to 
keep it unfiltered. And it's quite a modern phenomenon to have, um, right, we're going to be super disciplined and we're going we're gonna to spend three years working on this and put, put out uh, like a really strict 10 that we've really closely vetted. Because like Bowie did Station to Station, Low and Heroes within 18 months. Uh, Highway 61 Revisited and Blonde on Blonde were 10 months apart. Help, Rubber Soul, Revolver were, were released in a single year. And those are all kind of Bob Pollard's heroes, like them and R.E.M. And, and the Kinks. And so he's got this idea that you just want a snapshot of what he's like at the time. And now that they're not, I mean, they're all, they're all a little bit older. They're not touring as much, although they are still touring. Um, it, he wants this idea of like unfiltered, some of this will work, and if you don't like this one, there's another one that's coming along in two minutes, and you'll like that one as well. But actually, I'll throw the stuff from the 90s, and it is quite hard to get started on a... What's your entry point to a Yeah, band? what is the entry point? That's what I was going to ask. What is the entry point for Guided by Voices? Good good question. Uh, I might actually make a playlist of like 10 to start with. I personally would start... The, the, the classic album is from the mid-90s. It's called B, uh, B1000. I think... It's quite difficult to get into if you want modern sound quality. If you want to sort of work backwards, go to uh, Let's Go Eat the Factory from 2012, which is just like lovely two-minute pop songs. Um, quite quite polished for them. And if you like that, you'll like you'll find something on everything else that they've they've done. Um, but yeah, there's. It's like there's just something direct from his brain to the recording out to you. And uh, the the new single is one of the best things they've ever done. I think. Praise, praise indeed. My only uh, knowledge of Gary by voices, other than that they're very prolific, they appeared in the video for "Someday" alongside the Strokes. They did. They did. Um, and around that time, I have a I have a Bob Pollard story. Around that time, I went to um, I was in New York and I went to a comedy club to see Steve Gutenberg, and it ended up it wasn't <laughs> that Steve Gutenberg. It was just a guy, like we, we, we turned up at the comedy club, it was someone's basement and there was like a guy handing out dollar beers and we're like, okay, it's not that Steve Gutenberg. There's another comedian called Steve Gutenberg. The first 40 minutes were this guy, Steve Gutenberg and his dog and him like picking up his dog and his dog has a tutu on and things like that. And it was not good, not good at all. And then the second half, he's like, okay, I'm going to get some guests out. Um, he it was Walter Shiflett from Rival Schools. Oh man, they were they their album uh, United by Fate is, is. yeah, extraordinary man, brilliant album, that brilliant album. Used for glue, used for glue is an absolute monster of a song. It is. So, actually, actually, actually listening to Rival Schools earlier, uh, like like last week, as it happened, I was flicking through stuff on on my my iTunes and uh, like used for glue is just an uh, it's uh, huge. Huge absolutely huge. Um, he he came on, did a little acoustic set. And like, this is good. And then uh, Bob Pollard came on, did a little acoustic set. And we're like, okay, this is worth the ten dollars. And then he interviewed Moby, and Moby. So, so the three of them were sitting just sort of New York. You know, Moby's obviously weird and was weird at the time. But as a, as surreal moments go, it went from this sort of a man dancing with dogs to certainly two. Uh, two cracking songwriters and one bald oddball. That's that's an astonishing story. That's um, yeah, a real a real rags to riches affair. You wonder if you were going to be like a, a comedian. It's like me start, starting out my comedian and calling myself Lee Evans. You know, maybe the, there's there's money in that though. <laughs> then people pitch up and it's just 
It's just shite. It's like this isn't this isn't a sweating lunatic Lee Evans. This isn't a flabby guy from FK Five. This isn't what we paid for. It'd also be shite if they paid Lee Evans actually turned up as well. <laughs> just just, just spell it slightly differently. And <laughs> different. early, early Ryan Adams when he used to get gigs for uh, people thinking he was Brian. Just L E I G H Evans, the comedian <laughs> FK Five. There you go. There you go. Lee Griffiths Evans. <laughs> no, I, I, the story I mean that kind of actually follows on from, from what you've been talking about, Tom, and I, I imagine this is a subject you'll find quite interesting because I know that, that this is uh, in your wheelhouse as well. I, over the last week, have thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed playing the electric guitar. I absolutely love playing the electric guitar. I, I'm, I'm very lucky. I've got a couple of guitars in the house. I've got uh, the, 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 the Jewel in the Crown is a Rickenbacker 360 that nice. I got a couple of years ago, Midnight Blue, uh, with white cut. Absolutely gorgeous. And earlier in the week, I thought, you know what? Uh, they're going in for repair. The Rickenbacker is going in for repair. We've also got a Gibson Explorer. They're going in, not for repair, but, you know, to get set up, to get the strings and the electrics all looked at, cleaned out, making, like, when you do this, for people that don't own guitar, getting your guitar set up, it, it like, fixes all the intonation on it. So they put new strings on it, and it just it feels like when you get it back from the repair shop, it feels like you're getting it brand new. So it's going. To, the two guitars are going into Jimmy Egypt and West, uh, sorry, and Great Western Road in Glasgow. It's been in there a few times, and it's just they always do a fantastic job. But I thought to myself, you know what, Craig, you've, you've had a hard time of it lately. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. So I I, I bought a new guitar. It's a, a Fender Stratocaster. Uh, the only problem is, is that I bought it and within that I bought it on finance and with the finance agreement going through, like 10 minutes later, I got an email from the guitar shop saying, actually, that guitar's just been sold while your finance has been processed. So the one that I want is going to be back in store in uh, next month, about six weeks time. It's a 1960s uh, blonde Fender Stratocaster and it looks absolutely amazing and I just I love playing the guitar I've got like loads of effects pedals in the house I've got like distortions fuzzies loads of delays some sort of weird modulators from electro harmonics and I just I just love playing guitar and I just love writing songs and it's so much fun I, I will agree with all of that it's been a, a, a godsend in lockdown it's been like the best the only place to go when you can't you would want to stare at a screen is the only place to go is to sit and and to the guitar. So yeah, 100%. I would love to get, I'm not allowed another one at the moment. But do you want me to book, Tom? Oh, you can do that. Yeah, <laughs> you can do that. But there's something like you've got to, okay, if you want to zone out, if you want to just sort of, there, there's something like quite hypnotic about playing and you don't, you concentrate, but you don't think. And I think describe it, yeah. You, 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 there's something quite meditative about it. If you're not like, I mean, if you're learning, you've got to think about it. But if you've been playing for a while and you you know where everything is, there's something that you, you can play for an hour. You can sort of zone out and and just play and enjoy playing and enjoy the sound of it all, um, and not really notice that time's gone by. So it's it's pretty lovely. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you've got all the effects pedals. I must have about on my my, my two pedal boards. I think I've got about twelve effects units, and it's like mucking about with them and, and trying to trying to come up with weird sounds. Like, I quite like I me. Mean, my favorite guitar player. I know this won't be popular with with, uh, with sort of like a bit. People are a bit stunted, like like Fowler and Duncan. My favorite guitar player is the Edge from U two. 
and I quite like the idea. I can see <laughs> you you throwing a big middle finger to me there, but it's the idea of the. I, I just just like Bono, so I don't really have an opinion on the edge. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's the idea that that you're not necessarily like what you're playing isn't necessarily proficient. You're not like technically. I mean, the edge is technically an amazing guitar player in terms of the stuff that you can do. I mean, you've been playing guitar for. 40, 50 years even, you two have, have been, 50 years? No, no, 40 years. 40 years you two have been in the go for. More than 40 years. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Anyway, but you play the, <laughs> the guitar a long time. Play the guitar a long time. <laughs> you, get, uh, you get really technical at it, but his sort of stuff, it's all about sound. And it's all about kind of sounds, and particularly in the, the early 90s when they were doing like Acting Baby and became, uh, for certainly for you two, quite experimental and using like filters and auto was and like like pitch shifters and stuff like that. I really, really like that idea. And I think that's why I've, uh, I've, I've tried to amass so many pedals. And I like ambient guitar, trying to make your guitar sound like a synthesizer. I quite like that idea. Um, and it's great. And I can't wait till next month till I can actually go and buy this, uh, this Stratocaster and add it to the family, as it were. <laughs> they are your children. You do treat them like that. The first ever guitar I got was like when I was 14. It was a, it's a Fender Mustang bass. Bought it second hand from a guy in Pullman just outside Falkirk and I've still got it. And that's the one guitar I would never, uh, I'd never get rid of the Rickenbacker either because I love that. But the, 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 the bass guitar, that's the one, you know, you grow up on. That's the one where you first learn how to play. Like, like I remember the first thing I learned to play was a chain by Fleetwood Mac in the bass. And it's just that guitar just got so much sentimental value. You'd never get rid of it. And you're, you're kind of right. I've had that, that guitar's been, fuck, 20 years, actually, when you, you say it like that. 20 years. Fuck. Yeah, you, you're, you're first, I've got, my first one was a Epiphone, had an Epiphone Les Paul, which doesn't work now because, like, not to get too technical, but, like, trying to do Tom Morello stuff from Rage Against the Machine, like, is not good for your guitar. It's like what's, lots of stuff about like switching things and. Oh yeah, what's is that? that what's the name of that technique that's called? He does it on uh, "Know Your Enemy." You basically so you've got two pickups. You switch one off. You you leave one on, and then when you flick between your treble and your rhythm settings, it creates that sort of stuttering sound. That he's, he's, yeah, that sort of helicopter. Like "Know Your Enemy" is is the best example. It's it sounds fucking great. It's not very good. For, for the health of your guitars, especially if you're not very good at it. Um, <laughs> and, but building up to be, yeah. So, but I've still got it, even though it's absolutely knackered and I, it's never going to be played again. It's just not ah. in any shape. It's incredible. Remember when you first listened to Rage Against the Machine's first album, you were, you were like, how on earth is he actually doing this? And then when you watch him, it's all, it is very, very inventive, very creative ways of, of doing stuff like, like using the whammy pedal, you know, that, that pitch shift and stuff. And, and the, the tremolo pick, was it tremolo picking? No, that's what it was. was it tremolo picking? It doesn't matter. That sort of stuff where you're talking about with the, the pickups. Anyway, sorry, I see Craig Fowler's looking bored, so we'll go to him. Fowler. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, do you want, uh, what do you want to talk about, Fowler? you want to talk about hearts or something? I don't know. No, I'm going to stick, I'm going to stick with music. Uh, I have been enjoying uh, the Ringer's uh, top 10 list of single songs of the year so far. Uh, not so much the article that it was presented in, uh, but more that's uh, something that I do whenever these articles come out. They tend to come out like twice a year, so they'll have one at the kind of halfway point saying these are songs of the year so far, and then do one again at the end of the year, like songs of the year overall. There's not usually much overlap. They usually just select a bunch of new songs. And it's I find it quite a kind of useful way to stay in some sort of 
you know, touch with modern and music and new releases and stuff. And it's it's also for it. It's quite good to just kind of throw the Ted songs into a Spotify playlist and then just kind of listen to them as kind of just like an album. And it's obviously like a, a kind of mix of stuff. Usually, just kind of a mix of pop, uh, indie. Uh, sometimes, sometimes a little heavier rock stuff, but not often uh, R and B and uh, hip hop. And quite enjoying uh, the the list, uh, the 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 selection so far from from 2020. It's kind of been what I've been mostly listening to this week. I think the standout songs are uh, "Yellow Is the Color of Our Eyes" by Soccer Mummy. It's a kind of seven minute kind of pop odyssey that's just uh, quite something like I've, I've not heard in a while. Uh, the Savage Remix, so that's uh, Megan Thee Stallion featuring Beyonce. It's uh, just kind of a cool kind of R&B uh, hip-hop crossover. And I've also pretty liked uh, Dragon Ball Durag by Thundercat, which is kind of like a modern-day soul stuff. And it's just a kind of nice, silly, happy song about a guy feeling good because he's wearing a Durag. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So yeah, I can also say that I've also been enjoying the fact that we've started talking about football again because teams are making signings and there's actually some debate going about, you know, we had the chat the other day about whether Alex Gogic was going to fit into the Hibs midfield and it's like, fuck, this actually feels really good to talk about stuff, football stuff that's happening right now as opposed to analysing games from years past. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds really cheeky. That sounds really cheeky. Just um, Roger Mitchell has just uh, dropped a, uh, a big Twitter thread uh, endorsed by uh, Mr. Jimothy Spence. So, uh, so I was briefly distracted by that fella. If you were to recommend uh, one song, was the Soccer Mommy song the best one you've listened to? Aye, yeah, I would, I would recommend that one the most. Okay. Well, He's playing I, over and more next year, Craig, as well. All right. I'm, I'm, I've got tickets. It's super. This gives me a good chance to post the Joey wearing all the Porsche gear. Uh, anytime, <laughs> it's, it's only applicable to one person, fella. Anytime you get excited about something, I always just think of that Joey in the in the Porsche gear. So you got into Twilight Sad. Yep. <laughs> That's all you spoke about, Twilight Sad. So uh, I've got tickets for them next year. They've moved the date again. Uh, I think it's... May, it is May time. I think, Duncan, I think it's actually the week after your wedding that Twilight Sad are playing Barrelud. Uh, so hopefully there's no problem with getting, because I've got my cousin's wedding in May as well, so hopefully there's no problem with me getting three weekends off in May. I might need to beg for that. Uh, getting no, 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 that's, that's Ariane's cousin. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> she don't get married. <laughs> Sorry, my, 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 my heart briefly uh, skipped a beat for a second. Um <laughs> Love to know what happened at your wedding that night. It was all going so well until it all fell into a black hole. But speaking of black holes, the, the bad thing I'm going to talk about is, is can you ever? And this is a, this is actually the, I'm specifically referencing someone who who Tom brought up earlier. But it's like, can you ever listen to or enjoy the music of someone that has quote unquote been cancelled ever again? And I know cancel culture is going through a funny thing where it's now become anyone that says you're cancelled, you sort of roll your eyes in the same way that anyone who uses like woke or triggered or snowflake uh, pejoratively. I think cancelling is, is is going that way given how, how liberally it's thrown about. But earlier in the week, I had uh, a song by, called Bar Lights by Whiskey Town stuck in my head. And, and Whiskey Town were a, a, an interesting wee band, um, sort of like a Americana pop, 
alt-rock band um, from the mid to late 90s. Um, and they released three albums and perhaps were most famous because their main singer and songwriter was Ryan Adams. Ryan Adams finished up the band and went solo in 2000 to a very successful solo career. But I think it was 2018, allegations about Ryan Adams and his relationship with Mandy Moore came out. Uh, that he was controlling and abusive. And trying not, to, not, yeah, not just her. Not just her, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that was it. He would, uh, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Duncan, you seem to know more about it than me. He would basically use his influence to get female songwriters to, to collaborate with him and, and manipulate them. Is that, yeah, yeah. Phoebe that Bridgers has talked about her experience. I think that, that um, by all accounts, it sounds like, and then there was an underage uh, girl oh, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, so, but I think, by all accounts, uh, I think that it was possible to say that these the, the named women are the tip of the iceberg. Right. Ah. Uh, well. So after reading that, I was kind of like, oh, James, I don't really. I can go back and listen to his music because being when I was at, at like university, that would have been about two thousand and four. Certainly, he in two thousand four he had rock and roll quite underrated actually. In two thousand five, he released the three albums in one year. Stuff he did with the Cardinals. Um, what was yeah. it? What was it? Ryan? What was the name of the, the uh, Cold Roses? Was it Cold Roses? Jacksonville City Nights. City, City Nights. City Lights. One of the two. And uh, Twenty Nine. Um, oh, and it's, I remember thinking that if you were to combine the best of those three albums, he'd have a, a very good album. But after after reading the stuff about him, you kind of like, I don't really want to go back and listen to this guy. He just sounds like an absolute piece of shit, and and I don't really want to listen to music like that. But I got that song Bar Light stuck in my head. And I thought, well, go back and listen to it. And I listened to uh, Whiskey Town's album, uh, Pneumonia. I was like, this is actually a really good album. There's some lovely songs in it. Song called Crazy About You is really nice. Uh, sit and listen to the rain. They're a really good opener. Ballad, Ballad of Carol in. And you kind of think, it's a, probably a question that's been asked uh, for tale as old as time. Can you separate the art from the artist? Can you enjoy something something that, that, that kind of, I suppose, means something to you, quote unquote? Uh, whether the person that's done it is not a very nice person. Well, something we bring up quite a few times in the chat is uh, lost profits, uh, and so I kind of thought I kind of posed that question to myself: of can you enjoy the the output, even if you obviously don't enjoy the the artist themselves anymore? But I remember, so I was thinking, like, it doesn't matter, it's music, you know, just playing on music, it's a song. It, it doesn't really have to have that kind of meaning. But then I found myself any time that like a Lost Prophet song came on like Shuffle or something, I was immediately thinking about paedophilia. And I was thinking, yeah, I could, I could probably just get rid of this now because I, I don't want to be reminded of paedophilia every time one of their songs comes on. Uh, you sort of, that's, that's right, I suppose. I mean, I've not, I've not listened to Lost Prophets for ages. I always remember Shinobi vs. Dragon Ninja is a great song. But it's the sort of thing, I think you might be right. If I was to listen to it, you'd sort of be like, ugh, Jings, actually, I don't, I, I don't really want to, I don't really want to hear this. Is there, categories, it, it, though, is there categories of where uh, where stuff becomes acceptable and does that normalise it? Like it's okay to listen to Ryan Adams, but it's not okay to listen to Lost Prophets. And then you get to say, well, if it's okay to listen to Ryan Adams, where's the where's that? Yeah, that where's I, I, it's, it crosses over to unacceptability. I think um, I think everyone's favourites are problematic. I think that's that's essentially where we're getting to. You know that uh, I know that, for example, like listening to. Uh, John Lennon's music was soured, to, soured uh, for me when I heard about him screaming so loudly in his child's uh, ear that it burst an eardrum. 
um, you know that, and there'll be there'll be a litany of stories. And it was I was in, I listened to um, the the, the words uh, podcast, which formerly of the the magazine David Allen, uh, David Hepworth, and Mark Allen were talking about and stuff like this, and they were talking about this week you know, with Kasabian, yeah, um, you know, and they were saying, you know. It's great that it's happened, but like if you were to apply that today's standards to what happened in the sixties and seventies, you know, like the, you you wouldn't hear a lot from your favorite bands. You know, like that, like that, so many things went out under the radar, um, and I suppose there's an element of ignorance being bliss and stuff like that. And I think that's I think Fowler's right. It's when you, it's when you start making the connections yourself uh, that you know that. It sours you, and, and Ryan Adams, a prime example, is that generally when he turns up on shuffle on my iTunes, I end up skipping it just at the moment. Maybe maybe that will change in time and stuff like that. But I suppose it's just what you are comfortable with, and people have different thresholds. Like some people, some people, it won't be an issue at all to separate the art from the artist. Um, those people were essentially in Kasabian's uh, replies uh, as soon as the announcement was made the other day. Um, you know, there's some people that, have that that's no problem for them, um, but. Again, we, we talked. Rob talked about a couple of weeks ago with about watching the NFL. Mm. Uh, I'm the same with with watching wrestling. <laughs> like you know that yeah. how how much are you complicit in this versus not being and stuff like that? Like you, know, the art still exists. Like you, know, um, I still look back. Not recent films, but old Woody Allen films are still great. Do I what I have to say? I watch them less now because mm. of what I know about them now. Um, and it, but. I'm fortunate not to be in a position where I'm being asked to star in Woody Allen films, <laughs> um, like so many of my favourite uh, actors and actresses are. And I don't know, yeah, it's a, it's a uh, it's a proper moral minefield. Um, it's, and, it, and it's interesting though where the where the tipping point is because there there's definitely is like like you know lost profits and. Gary Glitter and um, yeah, you know, rock and roll uh, part two is an absolute well, tune. Yeah. It, it is, but, but at the <laughs> and same it was used time, in the Joker. there's there's coming back, but but you've got you know especially from that era, from like the seventy, like you know Jimmy Page, very problematic. All the old mm-hmm. rock and roll guys, very problematic. I would you know I wouldn't want to suggest that David Bowie would have his problems, but I guess anyone in the seventies around that time. I think I've seen, yeah, I've seen stuff problems. about Bowie, yeah. Yeah, uh, and I think that was probably the culture of the time, but some people are, some people have have been labelled and, and, and some people haven't. And I, I'll, I'll get on to another point on this, because actually my my frustration this week has been TV discussions around cancel culture and that Harper's letter, which was just... Yeah, you've, 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 you've got my one as well. Might as well tie it in then. So I, yeah. I, I read about the letter. I didn't. Uh, I, I read about it. I didn't actually read it. What is the the Harper's letter about? So a hundred and something, hundred and twenty various uh, authors, uh, thinkers, philosophers um, have signed signed this letter. And interestingly, it turned out that they'd signed it independently, and they'd only known that a couple of others had signed it as well. So some of them have subsequently withdrawn their signature because they've seen who else is on the list, which is a <laughs> little bit problematic. But it was basically this letter that was signed to Harper's decrying cancel culture. Um, and there's a real mix of people on it. So but my first problem with it is basically this letter's gone saying, um, we're we're not in a place where we can debate anything anymore. Um, the 
Yeah, you can. Everything's like, so, you, you everything's absolutely can. Yeah. You absolutely can. But the, the, the list of people who are on the list, uh, who signed the letter, some of them are some of them have recently had very problematic statements. You know, there's the, uh, is it Stanford, um, Stanford professor who basically equated black people getting shot by police with, you know, the police shoot far too many people. And that is a problematic position to take at the moment. At the very least, it's one where you're going to get called on. Like you've got to expect some kickback to that. You've got JK Rowling signing the list, uh, signing the letter, which again, for the same reason, we've also got people who like, Salman Rushdie, who who genuinely does have reason to go, actually, you know, there is, there is a point in the sand where my opinion crossed over into a point where people, an entire nation ordered me dead. So fuck you guys. <laughs> I went down to top trumps. Um, but yeah, there, it's this idea that all of them are concerned about ideas of, of free speech and the, this discussion of ideas. Uh, and but there, there's, this seems to run against... So there's two problems I have with it. One of it is it seems to be people who have huge platforms who mm. are making a decision to engage in a very complicated, nuanced, um, polarizing debate anyway. I just, want, I just want the right to say that I'm right. <laughs> yeah, and they, just, and they don't want any, anyone kicking back against this. But also you've got this filtered through to it being discussed on like you know, Philip and Holly and Loose Women and a three-minute segment on Sky News where you have someone going, oh, you, it, it's, it's bad that uh, Jodie Comer's boyfriend is a Trump supporter, and but also she shouldn't be cancelled. The, the, my, my opinion on that is, nobody, how many people have actually been cancelled? Like we've talked about some people who were can't like lost profits. Their music's still around, but the guy who did all the bad stuff is in prison and won't get out. The only people that I can think of who've genuinely been cancelled on social media are Milo and Katie Hopkins, and they did it after years of sustained shite and abuse. And it's like, incredible. She, she told me. It's not even cancelled either. Not, yeah, they're still around. No, like, Mel, Mel Gibson wasn't cancelled. Mel Gibson's still around and making films. He was briefly cancelled. But it's like, I mean, he, he, the thing for Milo that, yeah. that got him cancelled, it was it wasn't just like the, the whole Gamergate controversy or sort of stirring up uh, like like directing his his acolytes to, to racially abuse Leslie Jones for, for starring in the, the 2016 Ghostbusters movie. Now, this is all like it was a whole catalogue of terrible stuff. And then it was the when he was on a podcast talking about the whether or not it was okay for like thirteen year old boys to have sex with men saying that happened to him and he found it like a liberating experience, something along those lines. Yeah. And it's like, and then you see it that, that he's now bankrupt. Then you see that's the sort of, there, there you're absolutely right in terms of somebody that's been, uh, somebody has been cancelled. Yeah, but cancelled through decisions they've decision. made. Like, you know, it, was, yeah. it wasn't, is it like, again, you don't have, you don't, no one has the, uh, a universe, it's not written in the fucking United Nations uh, Declaration of Human Rights that you have access to a Twitter account. Like, you sign up to Twitter or Facebook or any social media platform, there's terms of conditions. Like, because you're not, like, it's, it, I find it absolutely, it's the victimhood uh, of people who yeah. do not appreciate there has been a uh, change, not systemic, but a change in which you can be critiqued all the time. Like, so, so I saw someone saying about, like, if you're in the 90s and you were a, Sun a Sunday Times columnist, you would put out your 900-word shite 
opinion piece and then you would just have a pleasant day like you'd file it on the Saturday and then you'd go on the Sunday and you might go for a roast and have a few pints and you come home and you've, you've ruined someone's day with your horrible opinion but you uh, but you're none, none the wiser about it whereas now someone if you said a horrible thing as you'll know, say for example uh, I, I'm not naming them. say you're columnist and you say something horrible about trans people trans people now have the have the um the ability to get in touch and say directly, actually, what you said is really hurtful, and this is why. And yes, some of that spills over. But funnily enough, people who are being victimised uh, can be emotive about these things. But if you say, "Oh, people don't have the right to exist," or that, that you know they are subhuman or whatever, I think most of us would take <laughs> would get abusive at that because it's is a, a horrible way to, to to be talked about. Again, it's this idea that. Um, other people's rights are up for up for opinion on whether you have the the right to exist. Fuck that. Yeah. I mean, it, the the fact that they all signed up to it as the sort of bastions of freedom of speech. Like the, the this is all like t- Twitter reaction and getting a bunch of shit is freedom of speech. Like I am allowed to say to make a joke about Hibernian Football Club, and if a bunch of people pile onto me and call me a wanker because of something I've done that's pissed them off or they've not taken the that's fine. That's freedom of speech in action. Like you're allowed to go and say like fuck this group of people, they're awful. And then if that group of people pile on and go no, you're absolutely wrong. You're not stifling debate by going. It's, it's, it's fucking ridiculous. Like <laughs> I'm I'm not allowed to post what I want on Twitter. Twitter.com so therefore, yeah. my freedom of speech is being suppressed. Fuck off. You're not going to jail for the things you're saying. That's, that's suppressing freedom of speech. This is not suppressing freedom of speech. This is you getting annoyed because people are fucking rightly, most of the time, uh, hitting back at your shite opinions. Quite interesting, Duncan. You, just as an aside there, you, you mentioned perhaps a, a well-known comedy writer who created one of the most beloved comedies of, of the 90s who was recently uh, excommunicated by Twitter. I had a look at his um, YouTube channel that he started up, uh, and it is deranged. Yeah. It's fucking deranged. Some people have, have, have completely left the reservation, uh, and being online too, too much can... Um, oh, man. ...in your brain. You remember when you first, I think we, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, when you first started having your Twitter account like 10 years ago, your essential followers, Stephen Fry and, uh, and, and yeah. Graham Lanahan. And now it's like, you know, I don't know about Stephen Fry, I've, I've never really had, uh, been interested in anything had to say. Good turn in Bedil syndrome though, albeit. Uh, but with, uh, <laughs> with, with, with Graham Lanahan, it's just like, why on earth would you... That like ten years going for the guy who was seen as the the must the, the number one person to to follow on Twitter to being like fucking. Well, hell, I mean, I think that's what that, I think. Ten years of social media has done a great deal of damage to those that you thought were interesting people or smart people or like you know that if you if you were in a revered position. Uh, that you are like oh well they must have, they must know so much or they must have access to what in the massive great brain they have and stuff like that and then you go through their, their twitter feed and you're like oh what a fucking dipshit like i've lost <laughs> respect for so many people who i at one point thought oh the uh, one of them it was a prominent when and, and recently tried to well has made a tip himself graham spears i used to think oh he's a, he's a really intelligent columnist and stuff like that and then you look at his twitter output and you're like you're not for me anymore. Like you're yeah. really not for me. It's and I was like, great- and what, maybe he was always like that. 
but uh, but now you have access to see what they actually are like. And you're like, I think oh. that that's it. It's not it's not cancellation culture. It, it, that's just a that's sort of a bullshit term. It's like social media is a double edged sword. So if you are able to if you're able to articulate your thoughts and you've never had any platform to do that before and you're able to start a, a blog and put some thoughts together and online you're great and you're chatting directly to and you're building who that that audience is, people are going to love it and they're going to see that you are living, you, you believe in your opinions and you, you're living all the things that you say. If you've had this platform and basically you're churning out opinions for money and you don't act you're supporting causes for money and you're, you're jumping on whatever the cause of the day is and you're not actually committed to whatever cause it is that, and your actual persona. You're not authentic, life, yeah. You're not a real person. Then fuck you, get in the bin. It's not like cancellation. It's just you're not who you said you were. And it's always it's always kind of existed in me. It's not really it's not cancel. Uh, this is the kind of stupid phrase about it. It's like yeah. if worse comes to worse, there's somebody who's kind of in the – in the in the public kind of eye, and then they the, the make a fuck up, and then there's a, there's a big outroar about it. Usually, it just means that they kind of have to go underground for a bit and just kind of lay low until the dust settles, and then they can kind of come back. But it's been like that for. And what they're kind of complaining about is kind of witch hunts that that you know maybe force you know writers like the, or, or or celebrities to do that. But we've always had that. We've always had stuff like even like long before Twitter and stuff. We've we'd first stuff where like I mean. Winona Ryder, for example, she was cancelled for quite a bit, wasn't she? Because of the whole um, shoplifting uh, incident. Was it, but that's and, the thing: like, was it cancellation or was it being ostracized? And then you hear yeah, stuff. Well, that's that, the thing. The power, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just going with their term of cancelled. Yeah. Didn't actually mean cancelled, or it means cancelled and then brought back. Like, TV but then you hear stuff be. about Weinstein, and it's like, well, this is clearly a deliberate. Like, it was. Yeah, that's like, not. That's stupid. not even cancelled. That's just you've done something illegal. You go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but like she, she was. Because I think it was not the case that she turned him down at one point, and so that was one of the reasons why she further oh, became, oh, yeah, okay, further right, became was... ostracized was because that she wasn't willing to play, play those games, and so like yeah, it's like uh, yeah, it's it's just bizarre. Like I, you, I, you can even you can even point at other points. Like the Tory party in the nineties was basically cancelled for for a period. Well, they probably cancelled for about ten years because just the amount of kind of the the sleaze and the scandals, and it just put their kind of stand amongst the, the British public at like pretty much an, an all-time low. But they were obviously able to come back. But I'd actually imagine if some of those kind of sleaze and scandals happen now, would the Tory parties kind of, would, would their uh, standing, would they really drop that much in the polls? I don't think so. Yeah, the guy, Dominic Cummings, was able to drive to, like a guy who's not <laughs> elected, managed to drive blindfolded to a castle, you know, and and... And he's still kicking about. We've moved on, you know. We, that's the thing. We've, we've moved on. We're focusing on other stuff now. It just it's the, the news cycle. I think that must be what it's like if you're that prominent. It's just like, and it's what you've done is, and there's degrees of badness. You know, I'm not going to compare what Dominic Cummings did to what Harvey Weinstein did, for instance. There's, there's absolutely no comparison between the between the two of them. But for some to, for some issues, you can just ride it out. Just yep. give it give it a couple of weeks. Lie low for a couple of weeks. And move on, like Jacob Rees-Mogg, for instance. Remember when he when he gave that interview after like Grenfell, and he said that basically the, the people that stayed because they followed instructions didn't use their common sense. Fucking hell, still, yeah. yeah. I, I did, and then became, and, and is still leader of the house, like you know, or yeah. What, yeah. It's when you put it, you put it like that, man. It's like it's just absolutely incredible that, that he said that. But there you go. We've kind of moved on a wee bit, and he's still. Um, 
still kicking a ball. I, still, I think, I, I think I, that's the other that's the other side of it. And I think John Ronson, who's written, a, like, who wrote really good book, yeah. brilliant book about about public shaming on social media. He had some really interesting things to say. Check out his Twitter, and he wrote a Guardian article uh, about it as well. But one of the things that he, uh, that was kind of in between what he was saying was we're not like the the idea of cancel culture has meant that people do not face repercussions for most for the sort of things that in the 90s before social media would be huge issues like you know like your Jacob Mogg incident where that would play out in the papers for a number of days but now it's 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 a news, it's a 24 hour rolling news needs something else to, to carry on with. It's on Twitter for a bit, it blows over. There's another, someone else is going to say something awful later on. So people aren't actually cancelled in this, like I hate using the term, but people don't face long term repercussions. The most powerful man in the world at the moment has probably <laughs> 200 in the last year incidents that in any normal circumstance would have done a normal sitting president, but it hasn't. Because of the, because this is the world that we're living, where a scandal blows over because there's another one waiting to come around the corner. Danny, you guys want to add anything else? Though it's been annoying you. I think that's. I'm not really interested in what Duncan and Craig Fowler have got to say. I think. No, mine, mine was cancel culture. So mine was a moan about uh, how shite uh, the all four app is. But this, uh, the, just taking the very, which is I'm intrigued by this. Duncan, what's, what's bad with the all four app? So, so <laughs> Amazon Prime, Netflix, you know, great models for like your know, user experience, usability, stuff like that. Uh, and then someone from all four said, we don't want any of that. Uh, come and use our shite app. And yeah, it's dreadful. Like, it just annoys me. Like, because we've, we've been doing a Seinfeld uh, rewatch and it never remembers where you are. There's a good chance that like halfway through an episode, it'll just drop out and never return. Uh, you can't, yeah, it's just, it's just, I know it's, it's very small fry, but it's just a terrible app. So I have, no, I have noticed that it's been cancelled. No, it's not been cancelled, it's just, I've just I, I'm just offering a, uh, offering a critique. But you've criticised it, you've criticised it, Duncan, so therefore the app is now cancelled. All right, okay. Is <laughs> that, I, was just there. I was just parodying uh, it. I, I'm gonna, it's uh, like if, you, if I made a joke about it, like the headlines would be Duncan Mackay trolls ch- at Channel yeah. 4 over, like, no. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm going to pile in here and make this a witch hunt uh, against uh, the <laughs> I have I have noticed this myself, if you're watching, if you're watching an episode and then it gets to the credits and you stop it, and then you go back and it's like, continue watching. And it just goes back to the start of that episode. It's like, how can you not take the Netflix thing of once you get to the credits, just assume that they're going on to the next episode? That's people's hard work there, Fowler. Come on, people deserve Yeah, and it's poor. It's poor. They've not done it as well as others. Can you imagine watching A View for the Terrace and as soon as it finishes, somebody switches off and it's like, who's that weird looking fella with the beard? Don't care. Next. Right, Fowler's had a look on <laughs> Kickback recently. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not actually. <laughs> I, was, I was joking. Why do you not do that, Fowler? Why, well, I mean, it's like, why, why do I have interest in seeking out people criticising me and my friends? So you can learn from it and... and you don't learn anything from those dickheads. Learn, <laughs> learn from what those people are saying and don't do it. So basically what I've learned is to just completely change my attitude, demeanour and outlook. I'm like, 
when, uh, to satisfy these people. When we first started the show, uh, Mikey Stewart sent me a message saying uh, congratulations, and his advice was oh, uh, his, his, his advice was uh, listen to the listen to the <laughs> criticism that you respect and ignore the rest. So I don't respect um, criticism from Jambo's fucking kickback. Well, uh, yeah, that's always the point, isn't it? Like you only listen to the criticism from the people that you would also be chuffed to receive compliments yeah, for. Yeah, absolutely. Duncan, Dick Campbell, uh, Dick Campbell was interviewed by Simon Ferry for Open Goal and, and I think he was asked about how do you, like, who do you, who do you listen to, who do you go to for advice and that idea of just uh, only take criticism for people you would you would go to seek advice. I think that's a, yeah. that's a, that's a pretty, pretty good line. So, yeah, f- 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 fair enough. Fair enough. Now we will uh, we'll come to the uh, the regular uh, uh, the regular part of the show where we review a movie and uh, this is a particular movie that, that I've been looking forward to, to talking about for some time. I think when I went to see this in the cinema uh, eight years ago, I think this was the the most excited I had ever been about going to see something in the cinema. And when I left a hundred no two hundred odd minutes later. It was perhaps the most confused and disappointed I had ever been after after leaving the cinema. Ah, that's that's interesting because we we had all said before you arrived because you were late um, that uh, <laughs> that we all three of us remember going to the cinema and really liking the film uh, and then having mixed views now that we've rewatched it. I, no, I said at the time I just remember leaving the cinema and being like, "But why did that happen? <laughs> why, why did that happen?" And the guy I was with was one of my best mate, Quinny. Uh, there was about four or five of us that went to see it and Quinny was like Telford just go and shut up and enjoy it like, but why but why did that happen how how, how, did, how did that happen but anyway enough of the enough of the teasing we're going to be talking about Christopher Nolan's final movie of the Dark Knight trilogy 2012's The Dark Knight Rises now The Dark Knight Rises is set eight years after the events of The Dark Knight Bruce Wayne has become a recluse Crime in Gotham is at an all-time low. However, a sinister menace from somewhere abroad comes to wreak havoc on Gotham. And Batman has to pull on the cape one final time to save the city. But not after but not only after he pulls on an e brace. Yeah, that's that's right. He spent eight years limping and then puts an e brace. You would you'd think after you after I'm limping, can I get an e brace? It's like no, then then I just re- see that's 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 the, the, that's the show how much of a recluse he is. That he's just happy to limp about <laughs> all the time. We're a dressing gown all yes. day. You know, like, access to like the top military scientists in the whole of the world and, that can build like a supercar tank and a flying bat copter thing, but none of them can build them a knee brace. Uh, oh, until he gets a knee brace, just when it's convenient to the plot for him to get a knee brace. But we'll start with yourself, Duncan. What did you, you said you, you were very excited to having seen it. You really enjoyed it uh, eight years ago when you first saw it. Perhaps not so much now. Can you expand on that? Uh, it's long. It's really, it's really long. I think there's a, there's a few, uh, I think it felt like they threw the kitchen sink at it. Uh, and I think, well, I think my biggest, my biggest problem with it is actually the swerve at the end, like all these things, the swerve at the end was done to give you a swerve. Uh, as opposed to this was part of the story. This feels part of the story. Like, uh, like we were chatting before we came, uh, before, before we started recording, is that the whole? If you look at the whole film, like it's just 
yeah, I'll, I'll not I'll not steal Fowler's point because he made this, but like, yeah, the, 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 there's, there's there's too many things about the the, the film that doesn't make sense. Yes, yeah, I, think, I, I think to to pick up just very quickly on the two points that have been made before, both your point, Craig, and, and Dunk's point that it is both. If you let it wash over you, it's very entertaining. If you yes. start thinking about it for even a second, the whole thing falls apart. You're right. It's like the Game of Thrones, the final series of Game of Thrones, for instance, like as a spectacle. It's like this is incredible. But then when you actually sit back and think, like, well, why is that happening? For instance, we'll take the first scene. I remember watching that. That was released on YouTube, like the, the four minutes of the, the, the plane being hijacked. Mm. And still watching back, that's still an incredible piece of cinematography because I'm sure that I read that was all I couldn't do that for a transfusion like that. <laughs> that, that that's, that's the thing that's daft as well, like the whole uh, blood, blood transfusion bit. But anyway, it's the bit that they were, you've got, Aidan Gillen is playing a CIA agent who is in charge of a plane. They get three guys dropped off, all wearing masks, and they're told beforehand, these, uh, these guys work for Bain. Had it been myself, I'd like to see underneath beforehand <laughs> to see what I was bringing <laughs> onto the plane. They bring these guys onto the plane and, and threaten them. With Aidan Gillen, I think Aidan Gillen's an amazing actor, but he's absolutely shocking in this. My man, oh, he's, he's my man, Dr. Pavel, and only one of you. And just like, it's, it, oh, I just annoying. And then it's so like, hammy, so like hammy. Very, very hammy. It's very unlike Aidan Gillen. And, and at that point, you're like, well, why did he let them on the plane? It's like, how did, how did this plane like perfectly like fly above it? How did these guys perfectly land? on this plane and, and get involved. How did how was everyone else in the plane able to notice that the that the plane was beginning to hit a bit of turbulence apart from Aidan Gillen? <laughs> yeah. Why? That was I mean that's the whole bit that's like the why. And that's imagine that reaction to like every scene in the movie and it sounds like you'd be nitpicking. It's not nitpicking though, it's when there's massive jumps of logic that don't make sense. Yeah. But it's also like yeah so even <laughs> even the tiniest things like uh so how how does Anne Hathaway's character get to be at the point of the catering company where she has to take stuff to Bruce Wayne's uh, wing? Yeah, like, how, much know, a, like, how much a long con is this? Yeah, like you know that she's the, what she, she must have been with that catering company for what a couple of months at least. You know, like yeah. you, know, it seems like it's a, like you just to be in the position to be in the right place to take them. Like you, know, like again, it's that thing is once you start thinking about it that uh, yeah, it can unravel very, very quickly. Alpha could easily be like to someone else, listen, you, you go and take that, take uh, that up, and she would never... And then the whole, and the whole thing falls apart. Tell you another thing, the trip has absolutely ruined uh, Alfred as a character. Because <laughs> uh, uh, Steve Coogan and um, Rob Brydon's impersonation, because you just listen to him now and you're just like, uh, you're like A, the impressions are, 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 are very good. Also, like, it just makes Alfred so... Uh, He's just—he's just a moaning bastard by the end of it, isn't it? It's, it's like—he's got an amazing line in it, though. That at the time, like with all of this, like I—I'm a—I'm a big Batman fan. I love—I love Batman. I read the comics, and I was like a pr- proper Batman geek. So at the time when I first watched this, lay wash all over me. Now when I watch it with a bit more of a critical eye, all of it kind of falls apart. And there's the, there's a line in it. Um, which um, Michael Caine has, where uh, Christian Bale's about to like impulsively go off and try and stop Bane, and um, Alfred stops him and says, "I've buried enough members of the Wayne family." And it's like, as a 
and it sounds good. It's, this kind of sums up the entire film. It sounds yeah. really good. Yeah. But, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's a fucking orphan. His mum and dad, like when you think about what's actually, it wasn't like, it wasn't <laughs> like Thomas, Thomas and Martha Wayne didn't die trying to stop some rampage like it's not like history's repeating itself here they were <laughs> down in cold blood in front of him that's one of the problems i had with this film tom is that every single piece of dialogue it's all written with like this this big overarching theme in mind mm. so like every single line ties into this theme about like the the haves and have nots i know that's the whole big plot i borrowed from the Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, which of course famously starts with it was the best of times, it was the blush of times. And there's a lot of the, the whole stuff there about uh, like that bit where like uh, Selena Kyle, I actually thought Anne Hathaway's very good in it. She's probably the best thing in the movie, actually. I, I, I really, really liked her. Um, the, the, the bit where she's like, there's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne, and you and your friends better batten down the hatches. And every single piece of dialogue that just like is really, really heavy-handed. Nobody has a laugh in this movie. There's only one bit that's quite funny. It's a bit where Batman is with uh, Selena Kyle, and he's looking up, and then she, he looks down, and she's disappeared. And yeah, like, oh, so that's what that feels like. Yeah, that's, that's a good line. That's, that's good. But the, 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 when I say that, that, um, that Anne Hathaway was my favourite character in it, the worst out of the whole trilogy, the worst of all the characters, the person who every time I saw him on camera, I wanted to put my fist through the telly, is Joseph Gordon-Levitt as, as John Blake. He's very earnest, isn't he? Hated, hated, hated it. And it's that idea, you tied in there about how Anne Hathaway's lucky enough to be sent over to go with Batman, to, to go to Bruce Wayne's living quarters. Oh, that, he, that, that, that this guy, John Blake, we're supposed to believe he knows Bruce Wayne as Batman because of a feeling that he had when he met him about 20 years ago. To be fair, I think the, the luckiest instant in uh, the entire film is when uh, Bruce Wayne goes to the hospital uh, and just so happens to get a, a surgeon or whatever who happens to be directly a few floors above Commissioner Gordon. Well, that no, he could, no. he, this is the bit in the movie, Duncan, that's most convenient. It's the bit where uh, Commissioner Gordon is discovered by Bane's henchmen. Bane's henchmen bring him to Bane. And it's like... And it's the bit where the commissioner escapes and slides down into the sewer network. And he's like, he's dead. And it's like, like I shot him says, well, go and show me his body. There could be anywhere. There's an entire network of tunnels. He could be anywhere. Follow him, right? So then he shoots him and he goes down. The next scene, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character happens to find uh, Commissioner Gordon at this this runoff. It's like, come on, lads! This is just everything in it was just too too convenient. Too neat. Well, I, I was, that's the same that even even when um, Batman goes down to the sewer and him and Bane have that fight on the on the walkway, which was a bit like watching, I don't know. Uh, Hulk Hogan in 1990s WCW. There was absolutely no <laughs> selling whatsoever. Uh, but the, and the, but so, so this happens, and then in the midst of about to take a massive uh, revolution within the city, Bane's got time to pop off to this country un undesignated to put uh, to put Bruce Wayne in a prison and then pop back. Right. And the, yeah, the prison, no, no, no bother, no bother. The prison, the prison itself—that's my biggest problem with the whole thing. The the the, big, the, the pit bit raises an, 
so many questions. And the, the pit is like the most, so the, the, the whole thing is very, very heavy handed. This, we've, we've covered this, but the pit is like when metaphors come to life. <laughs> I, I, think, I think they were trying to do like a nod to, in the comics, there's a thing called the Lazarus pits, which are like fountains of youth. But so they've, they've got this pit. It's, it's the prison where Bane once was, but it's got electricity. It's got CNN. It's got like Aye, how on earth do you how on earth do you get a, a TV signal? A closed, closed circuit TV signal in here. How did Bane get out there? How did Bane get a man with a broken back and his vertebrae sticking out down into the pit? How Who's in charge of the prison? Who's the prison administrator? There, there were men and, men and women people eat? This. Yeah, like the same, the like, toilets. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Wayne climbs up on the side with a with a rope. Uh, and like as his back's getting better and then falls and like that a minute so ago like, you, yeah. but also but then the next, but when he does escape the rope is all is up there's a rope the top. Up there. <laughs> no, what's, yeah. what's going on here it's the bit right I've got I'm just checking my notes here like there's a, like every, pretty much every line I've got has got a question mark after it so it's a bit where <laughs> right, the movie, right at the very start of the movie Commissioner Gordon is going to deliver a speech Shattering this illusion about Harvey Dent, saying that he was going to kill my, uh, he was going to kill my son, but it was actually Batman that saved him. This whole idea, you need to Harvey Dent as a symbol, you know, that's quite yeah. interesting. But he's got the speech, he doesn't read it, so he puts it in his pocket. Now, the next, the next bit where we see Commissioner Gordon is when he's down in the sewers, and he still has the speech in his pocket. Now, did that happen on the same night where that thing was? Because I mean, to me, if you had something. I've left stuff in my pocket. You, you leave stuff in your pocket all the time. Like um, I've put old jackets on it and I found like football tickets or gig tickets in, in pockets where you had them for. But if I had a speech as... Um, explosive. Explosive as that <laughs> and you didn't want people... Uh, you would destroy it as soon as you got up the road. Or you'd yeah. destroy it the first chance you got. You wouldn't keep it in a jacket that you're going to wear a couple of nights down the line. Yeah. I think, we're, I think we are in danger of... Uh, Bodying this too much, like the because the, the, the what like some of the action scenes are absolutely incredible. Uh, uh, there was some nice like things with like uh, Killian Murphy coming back as the yes uh, as a callback to Batman Begins and stuff like that. So there was there was lots of of really enjoyable things in it. But then uh, again, it, it just it's made up. The whole film, the whole film was made up of a bunch of very enjoyable things. It was yeah. just yeah. taken yeah. purely on face value. And it's, it, just, I, it's just a very, very shallow film. That, yeah, know, which is annoying. Which is annoying. Can you when you consider where Batman Begins came from? You know, it felt like it was resetting the, sort of the superhero genre, and um, and even just just mental bits like when you've got like just over like a minute and a half to get this bomb. Uh, that's going to destroy the thing. Oh, I'll just stop in that. I'll just stop and winch uh, Catwoman. What? Like, what was that? Was annoying as well. I never quite bought their romance kind of thing. I think it was. It was. It screws them over like twice as well. There's a bit where he flies away with a bomb, which is like a like a megaton nuclear bomb. He flies. Must be what about like a mile? They can see it. They said six miles. I think six miles. So they see it in the background. A bomb that size, if it blew up in the ocean, would surely send a ti- a huge tidal wave towards the city. No, 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 it doesn't. It seems to it blow up in just in a wee vacuum. It's the, it was the most powerful thing in the world, apart from when it wasn't, basically. <laughs> that's, that, 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 yeah. There's, there's that's, other, that's the there's issue. There's other bits that. as well. There's, there's so, so, there's so many plot holes in this film. Entire, what about the bit where they send the entire 
Gotham City Police Force. <laughs> I, was, I was literally just about to say that. The entire police force. So what? Anybody that's off sick? Anybody that's on holiday? Anybody that was doing the back shift? Like, why? <laughs> why? Why was it that, that when Bane, very cool sequence, the sequence where everything starts, like all Bane's bombs around the city start going off is very yeah. cool. You get a really wide shot covering the whole city and just in the distance, bridges start being destroyed. That's yeah. that's very cool. That's a very cool piece of cinema. But, so being... It was never really explained by the bridges were part of it. Like, you know, it wasn't... Like, because they were in the tunnels. The whole point was like, but... You can make the assumption, but like, yeah. Like, bridges just so, so, cut off Gotham from yeah. everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that, that's one of the ones, that's one of the bits that... If you were a if you were a comic fan, it's like it was a nice little nod. There's a, a, a was a series in the late nineties called No Man's Land, which was basically all about they they isolated Gotham and they made it a sort right. of bad guy. But if you've not read that, as most people that go and see a billion dollar film haven't, um, it made no sense. Much but, like most no, of so, so you've got being another very cool sequence is at the the football game where yeah, yeah. the guy running for a touchdown where all the football pitch is destroyed behind him. So doesn't look yeah. once back. Doesn't doesn't I, once look behind. I, I think that I think that's the best part of the entire film because it's a build up as well with the kind of all going quiet and just the little boy singing um, the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. That's fine, fellow. That that's fine, right? But imagine. Um, imagine pitching up at Oakle View, right? This, this is the bit I've got. Imagine pitching up at Oakle View where Mark McGuigan's about to score a goal. The pitch disintegrates beneath his feet. And then, then so you've seen your beloved football team destroyed, killed, people in the stands killed and shot, and then Bain saying, join me in a revolution. I'd probably thought, not really. <laughs> not really sold this I'm, just going back, I'm just going around the ground with Tim Hortons. You killed everybody except the kick returner. Ah, and then there's, there's a bit as well where he goes outside the prison and reads out Harvey Dent's statement. And it's like, uh, sorry, uh, Jim Gordon's statement. And this is the thing that's supposed to, to kick a, a, a revolution. It's just, it's too much of a leap to, to uh, think that being, And also as well, even in that bit, so the pitch, like you see, disintegrates. It doesn't blow up, it, it implodes. And when Bane walks into the stadium, he picks up the microphone from a referee who's on the ground, presumably dead. How is that referee injured? Because nobody, there was no explosion, so nobody was like killed in that. It was everybody would have died from the pitch collapsing. But if the referee's there on presumably a, a bit of the pitch that hasn't collapsed, how is he even injured? What injured yeah. them? And that's before we even get to the swerve that Bane's not actually the the brains behind the operation. Like I think it was just a swerve too far. It was like, oh, we're going to be really smart here. Like you don't need to be. Like that was like the thing. Bane was Bane was a uh, you know. Manic enough, like because that's like, yeah, like it, like it doesn't. It was just done for the sake of showing off, I think, well, rather that, than that. That's the that's thing, thing that really got is. me the, 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 the bane bit and the twist. Because actually, I think two thirds of it I can ignore the stupid and I can ignore the fact that they're they've not really paid attention to detail and there's loads and loads of little bits. And the recuperation scenes are a bit tedious, just do a Rocky Four and montage the fuck out of it. <laughs> press ups, that's it, Tom. But if you break but, your back, just do some press ups. Just some press-ups, run in the snow, 20 seconds, top of the stairs, good to go. But the, 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 I'll, I'll tell you a little bit as, as like a Batman fan. This is getting geeky. So there, there, there's three really, really good Batman comics that it picks up on. And it, what Christopher Nolan does really well, and I will give him a lot of credit for it, is he, he, know, like he must have really done his research. And he, there's loads of little bits for people who are fans. There's a, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, which was like, depressed Batman puts together a team of cops to fight the big bad guy he fakes his own death to retire that's that's 
that's large part of it. Uh, Doug Monch's Nightfall, which was where he created Bane, and like as a the first time there was like a proper physical baddie, and he like he he gets that completely. And No Man's Land, which I mentioned, but he also inadvertently picks up on two. Um, two things from from less popular Batman, shall we say? One of which is the the bomb scene, which you've uh, which you mentioned. Uh, yeah, there's a bit in the a nineteen sixty mid sixties Batman, and I'll share the clip because it's brilliant. Like, really campy sixties Batman, where he's running around trying to get rid of this like a big round sort of Super Mario bomb that's physical. I, no, I think. Uh, and he's trying to get rid of it. He's trying to get rid. Of, he's in a bar, and he runs to the end of a pier, and he tries to throw it off, but there's people down there and he runs to the other side of the bar and there's a baby and he runs down the and there's some nuns <laughs> and he's off the end and there's baby ducks in it and there's a marching band and it's three minutes of him running around and saying things like some days you can't get rid of a bomb and, like, <laughs> and that's basically what the end is but there's a brilliant robin line at the end of it um where robin says you saved your life uh, you saved the life of all the riffraff in that bar and Batman turns and goes, they may be drinkers, Robin, but they're human beings and may be salvaged. <laughs> but that's, that is the ending of the film where you're running around with this bomb. But there's also, to, to, to your point, um, the big, like, they've done a, they did a really good job of establishing Bane as like a physical... Like nobody, so they've, they've had Scarecrow who couldn't mentally break Batman. They've had Joker who, uh, and Harvey Dent who couldn't like intellectually break him. And then you've got like the, the physical bad guy, and Bane does break him. And then they, they, he's meant to be super intelligent. He's meant to be super strong, and he's reduced to being the Stooge. So he's Instant, basically reduced yeah. to being Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin, where yeah. Bane's the green guy who's kind of Poison Ivy's sidekick. You see he's that this bit, dumb that bit, Stooge? It's that 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 bit in the cinema. I remember the beforehand there's that daft bit where the police force run head first into bullets which is fucking stupid but then you've got that fight between Bane and Batman and and this is I remember in the cinema at the time my heart went when when Batman which he should have been done the first time they fought when he punches him in the mouth and the the bits from his mask begin to begin to break and he he begins to feel pain I remember my heart absolutely pounding and I think brilliant we're going to get to see Bane with his mask ripped off we're going to get to see what he looks like and this is sort of the first time we're going to get a wee bit of vulnerability from it and then just where like Miranda Tate then you get stabs Batman which does not which is absolutely no effect on him (laughs) (laughs) he's he's, he's breezy a few minutes later aye aye then, then she does that whole spiel and tells exactly what's happening and why it's happening in that Basil exposition. That, that roll your eyes. That was one of the most disappointing things about it. Is that you're absolutely right that the whole idea behind Bane set up to be this physical and mental presence. Batman will be tested like he's never been tested before, and he just like with a click of fingers just becomes a bit of a stooge. And then we actually sort of look that they're, they're on screen with each other three times. Two of them are a fight, like, and then the one time in, is in that daft prison where Bane does that really wanky thing when he gets up, he presses down on Batman. You've probably done it with your mates when you're sitting on the couch with them. You push down on them to, to, to get up. And it's just kind of like, I remember the, the whole thing. That was a bit for me in the cinema. I was like, I'm really, really, really disappointed in that. What, what was your, what's your thoughts overall on uh, Tom Hardy's Bane? Um, I think... Memorable. I think yeah, yeah, I mean, I... Like I, I I, I think it's I think it's perfectly good. I, I think most of the performances, I think the the uh, like Michael Caine, like you say, after you watch anyone, especially like 
uh, on the trip doing impressions of him, he just becomes even more of a of a stereotype than he was. But largely, the, the performances are good. I think anyone could be Batman, but Christian Bale's a good Wayne. Uh, the the performances and the people do all right with what is a pretty hokey script at times. But overall, I thought Bane was was pretty good. Even the weird voice didn't put me off too much. The thing was, I remember it's watching... It's not as weird as Christian Bale's Batman voice, no, to be honest. I mentioned, that more <laughs> I, mentioned, I mentioned it right at the start that, that when, when the, the clip of the, the, clip of the, the air, aircraft heist was first broadcast on YouTube and Bane's voice... Apparently, that yeah. people found it difficult to understand, so they went and redid it again. And I actually, I much preferred this voice from the from that YouTube clip because it sounded more real. It sounded more like someone who's got a got like a mask on and some of the breathing difficulties. Whereas in this, I found a real disconnect between his voice and his his body language sometimes. Oh yeah, I, you can see it was definitely re- re- recorded over. Like yeah. Aye, aye, that's, I, I kind of I thought that. But I mean, what do we think? Like, another thing, I don't want to give this film an absolute kick in, but the thing, there's, in fact, no, there's, there's no, I was going to say there's two, three. You got to four there on your fingers. Right. The bit, right, two bits where John Blake gets stuff left in his will. Mm. How? How did that happen? Why was John Blake <laughs> left stuffing as well? And the bit where where the woman says you should use your your, your first name more often, she might as well have looked fucking straight in the camera. And said, Robin, you know, <laughs> fuck off. And then then it's the bit the bit that where I was like, right, that's me. That's too much, too much, too much. At the very end, Michael Caine, Alfred goes to Venice. Lawrence and mentions it right at the start where he says I see, I see you in a cafe at Venice and all you do is you just nod and say alright to me what should have happened was that Michael Caine should have looked up and nodded cut to black rather than Michael Caine nodding and uh, Bruce Wayne being like we're back at you Bruce Wayne was probably one of the most although he went into to become a recluse Bruce Wayne was probably one of the most recognisable billionaires in the world so you probably say it's on par with like Mark Zuckerberg going on holiday <laughs> Everyone would know who he is, and it's like, why did you? Why if you if you thought someone was dead, it's like like Duncan. If, if like eight years down, like I thought you had died, and I saw you in a cafe in Venice, I'd be like going up to you and asking what, <laughs> what you've been up to, <laughs> rather than just sort of like like. For this I think yeah, I think I think that all those all those things could have. You know, you could forgive them a bit more if it if, if it was a leaner film, but just because it takes so much of your, because it takes up so much of your time, you're kind of less forgiving of it because you're just like, ah, oh, come on, for fuck's sake, like, yeah, two, yeah. two hours forty minutes, but, yeah, yeah, it's definitely the weakest of the three films. I oh, thought, undoubtedly, yeah. by a mile. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was Batman Begins, but I thought we'll let Batman's begin down. What we'll let Batman Begins down was the fact that it didn't have as compelling a villain, whereas Batman, sorry, Dark Knight. Joker is absolutely superb in it. However, that movie's about half an hour too long. Mm. You could really like trim a lot of fat of it off. And the fact that Joker is literally left hanging, while Harvey Dent, who's a lot less interesting and a lot poor, more poorly written, becomes the main antagonist. And it gets the, the, the all the action gets um, passed over to a bunch of people in a boat who you don't care about. And, and this was the one that is just like the characters and, and everything. The, the writing was the, the poorest. Would you, would you still recommend it to people? Um, ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think you... I think it's, it's, on, it's on the TV, watch it. Like, you've, 
you've kind of got to watch it as a piece of like culture from the from the time that it, it was one of a handful of films that re, the the that Christopher Nolan's uh, Dark Knight trilogy along with like Sin City and when they were redoing the um, the Marvel films that all kind of come came at the same time that that redefined what a comic book film could be. So I think you should watch it even if you hate it. Um, it is far too on the nose and it does suffer with like some dubious politics about the... Oh, it should be on the side of the police and the stockbrokers. Yeah, I mean, because, and, and, and because of that, there's been this sort of, there's been like a decade of trying to reclaim Batman from right-wing lunatics in the States. Um, <laughs> and, and Batman has always been, it's always kind of moved with the times, it's always reinvented itself and it's, you know, he's fought communism he's been anti-drugs he's been he's done the batusi in the 60s he's like um you know speaking out against no in fact supporting the vietnam war in the 70s already <laughs> Jewish. but um it's always kind of always kind of reinvented uh, reinvented itself in sense but it's the ones that are really memorable are the ones that are not so on the nose and politically i think this one is like you can't really tell where we're, should we so should we be supporting the lone billionaire who wants stormtroopers basically deployed? Well, that's what am I? The Occupy movement. One of my problems with the whole kind of thing is like anybody can be Batman. Was like, well, not really, because <laughs> even the next guy who's 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 like obviously so you know John Blake's going to be the next Batman, but in order to become the next Batman, he does need to be left these millions and millions of dollars worth of equipment. So no, nobody could just be Batman. I thought that was kind of the point at the start of the Dark Knight, where like he's getting annoyed by all these Batman imitators. Yes, and like he has to kind of come along and, and bail them out, kind of thing. And it's like, well, it's quite apparent that not everybody can be Batman. So the whole yeah, thing is, you know, Wayne Enterprises ran out of money. So imagine John Blake's first night; he's never, he's no used to the gears. Crashes a tumbler. You're gonna get another one. Nobody's gonna. That is you. So that 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 is you. Come. Um, uh, speaking of uh, no money in Wayne Enterprises, uh, that would uh, Bruce Wayne have had no money at all. Uh, somehow able to get back from this uh, this desert that he comes out of when he escapes the prison, gets back to Gotham, no problem. Is, is this yeah, desert? That's... Does this desert just border Gotham? Aye. He's got no shoes either. He gets out of the prison. He's got no shoes. No, nah, it takes him like, but it takes him like two months to. No, yeah, it takes him like two months to get out of the prison back to Gotham as well. Like the, yeah, the the, it was all over the place. They've got yeah. five. The bomb has got once they they. Uh, that's the thing I didn't understand. So they made this fusion generator, but the the thing was. I think you're looking into it too much, Craig. No, 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 but that's the, the point I'm making is that, that when they get this weapon, it's a fusion reactor, but the, the, he mothballed it because it could be weaponized. Yeah. And that's what cost his company money, and that's the thing that, that Bane is, uh, uses, and it's got five months' size. So the movie does take place over about a, a, a six-month period. But I just, just, it's just frustrating, you know, because like I say, I like, like Bane. I love the look of him. See, he's got that big coat that... I mean, the costume design's fantastic on it. The costume design's excellent throughout it. Uh, but there's just that many things. It's just like, stuff just doesn't make sense. And that was the thing in the cinema back eight years ago, watching it back. I, I suppose at the time, watching the cinema, I was like, wow, this is amazing because I've been looking forward to this film for, for like years. And then sort of seeing it and just being like, but why? And then getting told to shut up for asking questions. Well, we hope that's we've put some 
oil. What, 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 what am I talking about? Hold that hot. <laughs> Some, put, put some put, oil put, on your keg. There you yeah. go. Let some of those demons to rest. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we've given you a cathartic moment for you to discuss had, this eight years had, later on. This is, this is, I mean, it was this and, and uh, The Lost World were the two movies when we did this more regularly, the ones wanted to do. But it just, it's, it, it's fascinating, frustrating. That's how I describe it because just with a bit more, and that's not to say because Christopher Nolan's lazy because he's done some amazing work. It's just this one. So was that it's like too big to fail though, isn't it? Of course it was, yeah. Like the that's the thing, you don't but that's the thing, when you don't he was probably doing it more as a contractual obligation as well. That when you don't have to do it and you don't have to think about it because you know it's gonna be a success, there's you can probably cut corners a little bit. Like it is not as vital as it probably was in Batman Begins for everything to make sense. Yeah. Like Batman I mean, is so good. I watched that a couple of a couple of weeks ago, and just everything about it is just again very on the nose with its dialogue. Particularly the scenes where him and Katie Holmes are, are driving through like the under the city almost. I don't know what the, that sort of area is, and it's that's that's the thing about a lot of the, the movies that the dialogue's really hokey. In it. Yeah, I think one of the one of the best possibly in summary one of the best reviews i have seen of it is the whole thing is a very good first draft like if they'd <laughs> gone through it again and you know if they'd had another sharpened of, yeah sharpened sharp, the edges sharp, yeah. like there's a lot of there's a lot of chaff you could have cut out there's a lot of things that with just a brief explainer or some callback or mm-hmm. you know, just exercising it completely you could have made a really tight there was um, yeah, forty-five. It, it felt like there was a there was a lot of uh, we're showing you this because it's cool, which is fine in itself. But like that built up so much that you now have two hours and forty-five uh, minutes. Kyle's associate, Juno Temple, sent like two scenes and then doesn't come back into it. Yeah, it's like the first thing. If I was reading that script, red pen right through her character. <laughs> John Blake, John Blake, red pen right through that character. Just annoying, just so earnest. There's a bit in it where he meets a, there's a construction worker who was involved in stopping the police getting into towards the, the stock exchange. Yeah, and, and he, he sees him again, yeah. He sees him again, and he gets into a fight with him. They're wrestling for a gun, and you can see him. He looks at the, the truck, shoots the truck, and the bullet ricochets off the truck and hits him. And then he's this bit, he looks at the gun, like can't believe what he's done, throws the gun away. And that's never that's never explained. It's like this idea you think there might be like consequences to, to, to violence. And it's it's just never it's mm. Yeah, why is he spooked by that? Yeah, who gives a fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I mean that if I that's the thing, if I was again if I was like taking my red pen, I'd be like, Christy, we really you really want to you, oh it does need to stay in. Right, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Aye. That's it, frustration. That's it, and it sounds it sounds like I'm absolutely like embodying this song, but I'm not because there are like as like some spectacle, and it's 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 really really good. Um, but just I just that I you're right. At first, it's like Bird Box. You ever seen Bird Box? Yeah, yeah. Like Bird Box the idea is interesting, but same with Bird Box. Like I spent the whole time watching Bird Box, going like, but why? 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 How come? How come that this this light or this bird box can't get in houses? Yeah. Uh, what's really interesting as well is like uh, from 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 Chris Nolan's point of view, like he's like he's a very good filmmaker, but he's one of the best at nailing endings. Like he's almost got the sort of Rolling Stones thing where you can 
if you sometimes if you watch a Chris Nolan film for a second time, you're like, actually, the first hour is okay, but the ending and the twist and the the the, the reveal of it and like the the prestige and things like that are, are so good that you know it 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 like lifts the whole thing up. And as a trilogy, not only does he fail to land this as a final part of it, which for any number of reasons, but the end of this film is pretty hokey as well. What's so the whole thing about the autopilot? That's how he survives, isn't it? Because he, Con- he fixes the autopilot, so he, he jumps out. But if he jumps out... <laughs> he's still over water, so I don't know what he's doing. But if he jumps out, then surely he'd have been blown up as, with the bomb as well. Yeah, six-mile oh, blast radius. Right, right, there, sorry, right, that's me. I'm a man with <laughs> Is that us then? Yes. Thank goodness for that. Thank you, Will. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Craig Fowler for giving me the opportunity to get involved with the terrace in the first place. (laughs) You're very welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for thank you for for seven years of friendship. It's been it's been wonderful. Uh, Tom Watt. Thank you. Well, I don't need any introduction. Uh, and the wild man of Dunbar, judging by that haircut, <laughs> Mr. Duncan Mackay. The 15th can't come soon enough. This is an absolute state. <laughs> hey, well, yeah, there's, there's, no, there's nothing we can really say. We, you, should, you should actually see, we should, we should actually broadcast these podcasts at some point. Just so no, we don't think we should. Okay, well no, then, we won't. Well, we can assure you. Remember Catman that used to live around Greenock? Well, we'll <laughs> imagine that, but from Dunbar instead. And you're... Uh, you're on the right lines. <laughs> uh, over the next fortnight, uh, there is going to be no podcast. Well, certainly no new podcasts, uh, just because we want a break for a wee while. We've been, st- even though there's been no football, we, everyone's been knocking a panning to produce absolutely superb content. Credit to them. Uh, but there is still loads of content that's going to be put up on their Patreon subscription daily. So if you uh, pay $2, $5, or $7, please pay the $7, you can get access to an absolute treasure trove of, of content. And it's actually, you, sometimes you've you, you got to take a step back and think of the vastness of it. It's like um, some, the scene from Aladdin. <laughs> Sorry, the scene from Aladdin where they go into the treasure cave. Okay. Oh, not, not, when, not when they're on a magic carpet ride. Okay. No, no this, is not, this is nothing like the magic carpet ride. Yeah. It's like that scene for Aladdin where she's about to get her hand chopped off. <laughs> yes, like. every time I switch the microphone on, that's uh, that, that's what it feels like. No, it's not. It's good, good discussion. But uh, we will. So no, no pop culture podcast for two weeks in either. No, thank God. I've been doing these. I've been. I think I've been. I've been on every one of them, and it's getting harder and harder to talk about new things that you do each week. I'm a very boring guy, you know. I, I don't do that many stuff, but to try and find new angles to explain away. Your, your pathetic little life it's, uh, I'm glad I've, at least I've got a wee break from that I've only been on two weeks in a row and I was struggling to think of something I didn't like so <laughs> that was like, it was like I, could, I could have said beforehand is somebody else going to do cancel culture because I thought that somebody else might but I was like if somebody says yes I literally have nothing else so I'm just going to plow ahead <laughs> no, that's good it's just a, the, the cancel culture subscription was I'd say arguably the best discussion I think we've had in these podcasts until Duncan mentioned the all four app we really kicked on but thank you very much and take care goodbye bye 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 Sports Social Podcast Network